Hey everybody, this is Daniel Patrick, and this is episode number 104 of the Mandolins of Beer podcast, brought to you in part by my favorite website, The Mandolin Cafe. Happy September. Can't believe it's September. Hey, thank you for sending along some well wishes and all that good stuff on the uh, on the internets to me. That sinus infection kicked my butt last week. I'm glad to uh, be back at it here. Thank you to Jared for working around my schedule as well. My guess is Jared Walker, just a great guy, man. We talk all sorts of cool stuff on this episode. It's good to have him back on. They have a brand new album coming out, so go out there and reserve a copy. And actually, the brand new single, which is In the Morning Light, is going to be played at the end of this podcast. So be sure to hang out for that. I also want to thank everybody who's signed up so far for the mailing list. Um, if you haven't done so yet, please just go to mandolinsofbeer.com, and there's a little pop-up menu that comes right up to ask for just your email address and your first and last name. And actually, I'm going to be sending an email out to that list here to the people who signed up. I've got some stuff I had made up for. I'm going to be at IBMA with Keith from Picky Fingers. We have a booth there, and then we're also both going to be at Delfest as well doing some cool podcast stuff. And I had some special things made up for those events um, but I want to offer some to the listeners as well. So if you're possibly interested in getting some advanced stuff, I will uh, be sending out an email first, and then I'll put them up on the website. Uh, but I don't want to sell out of it before I go to those events. So I'll be making a limited number of holographic stickers that I got made up, so some hologram stickers. And I also came up with a uh, pick carrying case with my logo on it that's like a zippered a little zippered hard case that you can stick right in your case don't don't lose those picks they're investments you won't lose them if you put them in the zipper case it's got the mandolins and beer logo on there as well so i'll be sending out an email blast once those are in my hands and i'll be selling a limited uh number of those before i head out for those events i don't want to sell out of them for those so there's that. All right. Also, did you guys sign up for that Modern Mandolin Workshop yet? It's November 4th through the 6th this year. If you sign up early, it's uh, it's normally $250 for the all-access pass. You're going to get 10% off through October 1st. The teachers are Jake Jolliffe, Matt Flinner, Maddie Whitler, David Benedict, Tristan Scroggins, Casey Campbell, Dominic Leslie, and a special guest lecture from the legend himself, Mike Marshall. For more information to enroll, go to modernmandolin.org, or you can go to Mandolins of Beer, where I've got a link, and I've also got it in my Instagram feed as well. It's going to be great. Three-day online mandolin camp. Good stuff. And speaking of good stuff and great teachers, Peghead Nation. If you haven't tried out Peghead Nation, now's your chance to do it for 30 days for free. That's right. You just go to pegheadnation.com and you enter the promo code mandolinbeer, all one word, at checkout, and you can try out the course of your choosing. Everything from beginners to advanced players. And listen to this list of instructors. Sharon Gilchrist, Joe K. Walsh, Mike Compton, John Reichman, Aaron Weinstein, Marla Fibish, and Chad Manning. It's insane. It blows my mind that nowadays we can have lessons and different things like that with all these incredible players. It's, uh, it's, it's amazing. So be sure to sign up. Check it out. Check out Northfield Mandolins. Let's build more than a mandolin together. Check out their website at northfieldmandolins.com or go download their app at Mando Summit for lots of special performance recordings, demonstrations, and special workshops. And Pava Mandolins, dedicated to building for the impassioned player right there in Austin, Texas. Just some beautiful mandolins. I want to thank all my sponsors. Be sure to go and follow them. Go to uh, their Instagrams as well. All these Instagrams are always posting killer stuff. 
So, let's get into the episode with Jared Walker, everybody. Cheers. Well, man, it is my pleasure to welcome back to the podcast, Jared Walker. Jared, how's it going, man? Uh, everything's going great. Thanks so much for having me again. I can't seem to stay away. <laughs> it's, well, it's fine with me. It's always good to talk to you, dude. And uh, you've got got quite a bit of exciting stuff coming here. First off, um, Billy Strings, they have a, you have a brand new album coming out called Renewal. That comes out in, is it a month? It's under a month under now. Under a month it's, now? Uh, it might, I, I want to say... I'm not certain. I think it's September 24th. Oh, wow. I could be wrong. Sweet, man. And then the uh, brand new single came out today. It's called Morning Light, and that's going to be available everywhere. And um, I'm hoping to have that for the end of this podcast where people can check out the uh, brand new tune here also on the podcast. So that's exciting. It is. Like like I was telling you, it's it's certainly on Spotify and if you can stream it, you should be able to buy it too. Hopefully, <laughs> absolutely, ideally, absolutely. And, and and with this album too, one of the exciting things I noticed right away is when um, on Billy's social media he had posted the uh, looked like maybe the back of an album, and it had the track titles and then the people who wrote them. And you had a couple tracks on there again, which I think is incredible, man. Congratulations. Oh, thank you so much. Yeah, it's uh, this this record. I'm, I'm particularly excited about it um, for that reason. Um, this one is going to be a little bit more collaborative than the last one, Home, our last record. Not to say that that wasn't a collaborative effort, but most of the songs that were brought to the table, with the exception of one song that I had written called Everything's the Same, on the last record were all written by Billy or co-written by Billy. Um, whereas on this record, there are three songs that I wrote with my friend Christian Ward, um, which which is it's it's always a uh, it's always nice to bring something to the table. You know, Billy doesn't have any any stake particularly on a song that that he hasn't written, but it's a kind of a pat on the back to to have that song recorded so it's i'm i'm excited about that yeah that's amazing and the one tune i think i had actually heard um you guys have been playing it live i'm not sure if you've been playing it both live but the one um uh, red daisy i saw on one of the live streams that you all had done and great tune well thank you thank you so much yeah we uh we we have been playing most of the songs from the new record before the album has even come out, um, which is unusual for us. You know, usually you, you try to save the stuff for a a little anticipation, but we've, we figure, you know, we weren't able to play so much last year. And when, when we were able to get back to work, we wanted to have those songs fresh in our head. So we're like, well, we might as well put them in the rotation now rather than try to remember them, you know, a year from now when the record finally comes out. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, that's great, man. And I think you guys have that great fan base. We were talking a little bit about this off the air, too. It's like um, it's like that old school taper trader thing where I don't think it's really going to affect anything because they're just as excited to hear every version of it they can possibly hear, you know? <laughs> so uh, they'll be excited to hear a recorded version as opposed to, you know, 
March 22nd <laughs> or whatever the taper, <laughs> you know, whatever the taper lingo would be for that. So, right. Which is a really different culture than what I grew up around. And in the traditional bluegrass world, a lot of times you would play the same set every night for an entire tour, or maybe you would have two sets you switch between something like that. But the fan base for Billy strings is indeed more of that grateful dead jam band kind of crowd where certain fans will go to multiple shows in a row. And if you have people going to multiple shows, you don't want to repeat all your stuff from night to night. Cause what's the incentive to come, you know, you want to give them something, something new and whether that be uh, a different version of the same song or just different t- material entirely, it, it's kind of up to you to decide, but, um, but yeah, I, I, I'm excited for people to hear these uh, polished up versions of, of what we do on stage. Cause there are some things that you do in the studio that can't really be recreated with, with the ensemble that we have on stage. You know, we've got pedal steel on a couple tracks. We have some piano on some stuff, stuff that, it, you know, it doesn't make sense to take out a pedal steel player with the band just for two or three songs. <laughs> sure. Although I would like that. I think that <laughs> yeah, man. Cool sound. Switch it up from the Dobro a little bit, you know. Um, but I'm I'm excited for people to hear it. I, I think I think people will like it. It's uh it's interesting to go back and listen to those songs which we didn't know very well when we recorded them. Now we know them a whole lot better. And, and in some ways I wish we would have done something else with a, with a chorus or with a verse or put a solo here or there, but you really don't find that stuff out until after the fact. So it's, it's kind of the debate of whether you should try out the material on stage before you record it. And, but that stuff all takes time. Yeah. So, you know, though, speaking of that, when you look at a lot of um, a lot of people, you know, back in like when when records were, you know, selling and they were the, that was a big thing, you know, when people were selling millions of records, people always talk about like the sophomore slump, um, which obviously you guys are past one record. But I think a lot of that is said is because these these bands would work on these songs all their lives. They'd get signed in their first record was songs that had been played a bunch and, you know, seen the light of day. And I think that's one of the advantages maybe to playing those songs live and putting them out there like you were. You kind of kind of figure out maybe, oh, this one works or, oh, you know what we should do here. So I'm really right. excited. I'm excited to hear the album, dude. Yeah, that's, that's, a, that's an interesting thing with kind of the world that you and I live in. If, if you do work on creating an album of the perfect material for 10 years and you finally put it out and then you have the problem of what, what do I do next with, with bluegrass? Thankfully there's a always, there's always the option to go more traditional and, and record little Maggie or something. Right. right. And, 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 and people generally are really receptive of that. Which is which is really nice to know that you kind of have that soft cushion to land on if you ever need it, you know, to, to just make a, a traditional bluegrass record, which I personally would like to do uh, myself one day. 
if uh, if it all makes sense. How long ago did you record this album? Because it looks like in the pictures you have a little bit shorter hair <laughs> than you do now. Yeah, yeah that, that's kind of how I gauge how long I've been letting my hair grow out. <laughs> I think we started recording that in January of of last year, I believe. I, I believe we did two different sessions. Um, we we recorded half of the stuff at one time and then then did the other chunk the next. But we recorded a lot of material. I believe we recorded 21 songs. Oh, wow. Um, and we picked the ones that uh, were the strongest out of that pool, um, which I, I knew going into it that we wouldn't release all of those songs even as it is it's a long it's a long record it's a it's a two lp record with 16 songs um but when we were recording it we had recorded three instrumentals and i i knew from from past experience you know there would probably be one to two possibly which it ended up being two instrumentals for the record um but it, it was a great it was a great experience, and uh, we recorded over at the Sound Emporium, which is a fantastic studio here in Nashville. And Gary Pachoza was engineering the album, and we had Jonathan Wilson, who is a uh, fantastic producer. Um, and you know, we enlisted the help of John Mylander playing fiddle again on this record. He's kind of the unofficial fifth member of of the band oh man uh, that's so cool yeah i was gonna say you guys use a different producer this time around too so um but what i've heard from it so far i mean it just sounds uh, the sounds are great um the tunes i mean again i've only heard well the one but which could have changed since you know the recording or whatever but then also um the new single and then there was one other single came out from this album so far was there not so there was there was a single that came out separate from the album. It won't be included on the album uh, called Wargasm, which had a uh, you know some some military undertones to that one. And also there was a there was a rapper on that song. Oh, that's um, right, yeah. And his his name's Rumor. Um, and he's he's starting to blow up in that world, which is really cool to see. Um, but uh, yes, you you mentioned another another single. There's there's one other that will be on the uh, renewal record called Fireline. That's what I'm thinking of. I, you know what? In, in the morning light and fireline, as we're talking, I that that's those are the two that I listen to today. Right. Yeah. That's that's a that's a great one. Um, that was more or less Billy Failing's uh, song that he brought to the table. 
Um, and we all, you know, helped bat it in, you know, <laughs> right, right. But he, he brought it to the table. And in, obviously interesting times, uh, have happened in the last time. The last live show I saw was the strings in the hall, which was the day after that you and Tristan and myself got together over there at, uh, at the brewery. And that show was the first time where I was ever like, wow, man, I definitely feel like you could feel like something's happening. Just the energy. It was like, wow, this is like, this is a band that is about to just take off. And you guys during the whole pandemic did so much cool stuff, man. I mean, you've, you've done Red Rocks. Um, was that the? I wonder if that's the only show that was ever to no crowd at Red Rocks. Was there? Were there others? There, there were a couple others at at that time. They were allowing some really small number of attendees to go, um, but we we just decided to do it uh, completely as a live stream because it you know it, it looks weird to have a venue that seats ten thousand people. And just you know, three hundred people scattered in there, you know, or, or whatever <laughs> right. the number was. So we're like, oh well, we'll just we'll just wait, we'll just wait till next year. And ultimately, it was actually it would have been more expensive to have people there because you have to then at that point you have to have security and stuff like that. So ultimately, it was it was more profitable to have nobody there, which is which is really interesting. Um, but yeah, we. Uh, we were able to do a lot of stuff during the pandemic, more or less because of our management and booking agent and uh, just a great team that we have working working with Billy and, and myself and, and all the guys. They, I don't know how they were able to do it, but they were able to pivot with every change that came, you know, when when things had completely shut down, we, we started doing, you know, lives, live streams at, at venues with, with no audience, you know, and, and at, at one point we were doing drive-in shows and then we started getting the feedback that people weren't so keen on drive-in shows anymore because things were opening up elsewhere. So, so then they, you know, it, I can only imagine the logistical nightmare that the management was having to go through in order to make all that stuff possible. It, it was really remarkable to see how well they, they were able to function in that world. I, I know we're all, we all feel very, very lucky to, to have that kind of, uh, security behind us, you know, because we very well could have, uh, stayed idle for a year. And, and a lot of people did. Yeah. And, and with your case, it was like this band that's gaining momentum, you know, like just like literally ready to explode. That's what I felt like at that show. I'm like, this is this is awesome, man. The energy between the band and the crowd, 
I mean, there were people when we were standing in line for posters. I mean, the line to get a poster was an hour long. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> right, you can, you right. can get like five beers in that time, <laughs> you know, and it was just like, this is so cool. Pandemic comes, you guys, like you said, you, the the whole team pivots. Um, you, you guys did an Austin City Limits recently. Yeah, we, we did. We were, we actually did an Austin City Limits for no crowd that was okay so there's no crowd well then we did it a second time more recently to a crowd um the the first time it was it was not it it was in the same theater but it was not austin city limits proper it was something else it had some other kind of title um but uh i think the 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 version that got recorded and will be televised i think that that went better than the first one personally so that's that's a good thing um but yeah we we are able to do a lot of a lot of cool stuff that i i was very i was very worried at first you know what was going to happen you know everybody's everybody's losing work and you know everybody around me's going on unemployment and, you know, and that, that stuff gets, gets really complicated. Um, I, I saw a lot of people around me who had to move back home, you know, mm-hmm. um, and you hate, you hate to see that, but you know, in some, some of those bands that had to break up for the pandemic and go work, uh, nine to fives, they probably won't be coming back. Some of them, um, which is really unfortunate. It's, you know, a lot of businesses shut down. It's not just music, you know, it, a lot of businesses around, around me in Nashville, I, the landscape has changed a lot. Just it's been, fo- people have been forced out. Um, but at the same time, people's houses are looking a lot better. Everybody's been yeah, painting yeah. shutters and stuff. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Everybody's lawns look great. <laughs> Yeah, that, I can't imagine, especially in a city um, like Nashville, f- filled with musicians. You know, I did a um, I did a live stream in Austin uh, in October, and I just remember walking around. I was going to uh, sit in with a band at a brewery, and I had some free time. I'd been over down at the Ellis, uh, where he builds the mandolins, and it was a bit away. So I just I'm like, oh, it's happy hour. I'll just stop downtown and wander around. And I'd just been in Austin a few years before that, you know, and downtown's always happening. It was, there was nobody anywhere. I mean, stores, no customers. It was like five thirty, six o'clock in the evening. And I just like, how are these, you know, this is one city, you know, that just relies on tourism. Of right. How many cities in this country that rely on that? And it was just like, oh my gosh, you know, and just, and, you know, again, like even, wandering around Charleston and seeing things that have closed that were, you know, institutions and, and, um, just couldn't make it through. It's just, just a drag. Oh yeah. And, and so many of those businesses like, uh, well, my go-to examples are always music related, but all, all those small independent venues, I've, I saw a few of those disappear, which is really sad. And some of them are, you know, historical landmarks, you know, in my eyes, um, I was happy to see the the station in stayed intact. Um, 
that that especially is a is a crazy experience to to have gone to the station in back in the early 2000s versus going there now because everything is just built up i'm sure you've been to the station and oh bunch yeah i know exactly what you're talking about too um because i've been there did you ever go in in the in the early 2000s when it was just a uh like a gravel gravel lot and nothing around it was nothing nothing around Uh, it yeah (laughs) and and now it's high high rises and expensive real estate and it's it's a really ritzy part of town now oh yeah the gulch is they called the gulch that area the gulch yeah yeah Yeah. it's so weird um to see that and then just go to this killer actually that was that's how i met josh rilko believe it or not was um when i was going to do that live stream initially um and 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 actually you were gonna be part of it you guys got the red rocks but he saw it was going to be in Nashville, and he I think he was, might have been the first band that played at the Station Inn when they reopened to the public to a really limited amount of people. Mm, and right, he, he just right. reached out. He's like, hey, man, I'm playing at the Station Inn. I'm like, holy cow, I didn't know it was open. But, yeah, it was, and it was incredible. There was you know, hardly anybody there, unfortunately, and fortunately, I guess, because it was like you know, right. September. But um, I just love the Station Inn, and it was – yeah, I'm glad to see it's it, still going. It's it's one of the it's one of the original spots to hang out here in town. You know, it's it's been there, I think, since the seventies, and it doesn't look like it's changed a whole lot, which is so cool to me. I, I love I love that. That's the the hipster the hipster side of me is a sucker <laughs> for that. Absolutely. Um, but you know, I I see that piece of property for people who don't know what the Station Inn is. It's it's a legendary bluegrass venue, and it's kind of a mainstay for bluegrassers in Nashville and all across the country. People go and visit it. And I know for myself, I was shocked at how small it was, given the reputation it had. Um, but that piece of property has to be worth – I don't even know how many millions now because you could put a huge high-rise there, and I – I worry about that place. I, I hope they turn it into a historical landmark because kind of like the Ryman or, you know, one of those places, it's it. They need to make sure that one sticks around. Yeah, it's it's wild. It looks like it's almost like if you were to imagine like like a cartoon where it's all these ritzy buildings were built and just dropped in and then one person held out in this giant high rise neighborhood. That, that's kind of what it's <laughs> yeah. like right there. That's, that is totally what it's like. I, I was really happy. We did a, we did a Jimmy Kimmel. Uh, I don't remember what they were calling it. Not Jimmy Kimmel live, but it was, it was Jimmy Kimmel from other locations. And we did, we did our portion of the show at the station in which which to me was so cool, you know, and I, I thought that was the perfect spot to do it. You know, there are a lot of nicer, there are a lot of nicer, you know, quote, nicer venues to, to go in town, but there's, there's nothing like that place. And then speaking of smaller places, I don't know another band that has had such a, I don't want to say rocket ride because it seems like it from the outside because, you know, 
I've, I've, I remember seeing Billy Strings before you before you were in the band, and it was just probably just before you were in the band too. Um, he played the Poor House here in Charleston, South Carolina, and I think it was uh, Sterling Abernathy was filling in on mandolin. And right, there's right, a few hundred people there. <laughs> you know what I mean? And he had everybody. Mm-hmm. You know, people were there. Doing, Dude, you guys are you're playing like arenas as a as a bluegrass band. It's the most awesome, incredible thing. I can imagine for a band like you guys, it's so great. What's it like to uh, to kind of be there from that moment to to now? Well, you know, funny that you mentioned Sterling Abernathy. He he and I split the duties on a tour in 2017. I I did the first leg of the tour. I was still playing with Claire Lynch at the time. Um, but she was starting to slow down and, and, and I was aware of that. And, um, so I, I was able to do the first leg of the tour and then Sterling did the second half. And I guess they stopped through Charleston at that point. Um, but yeah, it's, it's really, it's really a wild thing to, to see. And it, it, you know, sometimes it feels like it's happening to somebody else, (laughs) um, but it's it's a bizarre thing to go to go to like you said some of these places are are getting close to arena size and to play a song like a robin built a nest on daddy's grave And in a in a in in a place like that is just such a trip. It's so it's so weird. It's like where were all these where were all these bluegrass fans when I was a kid in high school? You know, like just trying to prove trying to prove that bluegrass is cool. Um, it's it's funny, you know, people from my from my high school who who didn't care about bluegrass at all. You know, sometimes I get messages from those people asking, you know, can you get me into the show, which which is so cool. And I'm, I'm glad that that bluegrass is kind of catching on. Uh, it, it, it feels like in, in a similar similar way to the not the rebirth necessarily. But when Oh Brother came out, you know, it kind of reignited this interest in bluegrass. And not to compare, not to compare the two, but you know, with bands, bands like Green Sky and and Leftover Salmon and and Billy Strings and all that stuff, and Del McCurry, you know, it's 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 a it's a wild thing to to see like all these Fish fans, you know, knowing Del McCurry songs, you know, and and by all means they should know them, you know, but. Um, it's it's weird how the two worlds have kind of collided and are seeming to coexist pretty well. Um, it's 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 a bizarre thing. I, I don't I don't know how to completely quantify it, or I, I don't know if anything I'm saying sounds intelligible, but it's 
all I can say is very wild. Yeah. I, I mean, I can't, I can't even imagine, especially, you know, like, you know, you playing mandolin in like a, a like, you know, like I've, I've had um, Andy Wood on who played mandolin in Rascal Flats. So it makes sense that Rascal Flats would be, you know, play huge venues because they have huge radio hits, <laughs> you know, on. Right. But it, I think it's so amazing to just to see just the the build up the fan base you know, i think part of it is how is how, how well you guys interact with the fans you know on like the social media and you know and just seeing things like i forget where it was you know i was i probably pre-pandemic but you know like people standing out in the snow in colorado and billy bringing hot chocolate around to people you know what, you know right, what i mean yeah like those for things, sure yeah those things add up and i think it's great that a, that a cool group of guys are playing great songs are being rewarded with i mean in this in this world that we live in now of music like that's the biggest there there are no more 10 million records being sold you know what i mean mm-hmm. it's 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 people going to live shows and and it's so great to see the large amount of people you guys are playing to or or you know like seeing the reaction of people at the Newport festival like oh yeah dude <laughs> it's incredible. Um, I mean, if you guys are coming live to anybody around here who's listening to this podcast who hasn't been out or, you know, I understand people are still a little wary to go out too, but if you're going to go to a live show, man, oh, it, it, you, you got to go see you guys. And the light show's killer. You know, it's, I'd love to talk to you actually at right now a little bit about your live sound. The one thing that blows my mind when watching videos of you, especially recently is your again your right hand your your technique is great and your right hand dude you guys are playing to thousands of people tracks are um you know the song's just racing and your right hand looks like it's on vacation <laughs> in a, the best way ever you know what i mean it's like it's just like i got this i know what i'm doing <laughs> you know and it's just smooth and loose but you know it's not your playing is is still just ripping along is you know, has there been stuff that you've been working on in the meantime, or is just that just something that's always been there? And well, I, I appreciate you saying that. Um, it's always something that I'm working on. It's sometimes it's it's a a very simple fix. You know, changing a pick you're using, or you know, looking at looking at your hand more when you're playing looking at your right hand more or looking at your left hand more and not focusing on your right hand. It's hard to say really how the, the style that, that I've developed came along. Really. It's, it's hard to, it's, it's hard to say, but you know, there, there are, there are always things to, to work on. I, I found myself, uh, this is, this is kind of embarrassing, but I found myself, on the last tour we played, I, I dropped my pick three times on that tour in the middle of playing. And I never, I never dropped my pick. I never do that. Um, so I was like, my gosh, what, what's going on? Am I having neurological problems? Did, did I drink too much? Like what's, what's, what's going on? Um, I was, I was a little concerned. And then like, I looked, you know, I looked at my pick, I, I use, I use a Wigan pick primarily and I've been using the same Wigan pick for like around two years. And it starts out as a pretty big triangle. And 
I've worn it down into a silver dollar. <laughs> so that I believe is the reason I was dropping my pick. Knock on wood. <laughs> yeah. We'll see for this for this next tour. But you know, I don't know. Sometimes you can get. I uh, I used to hold my hand more in a more in a fist when uh, when I my right hand that is, and to me it's kind of like if if you wear if you wear tight jeans you might feel a little more uptight than you would if you're wearing baggy clothes and that's kind of the way that i think about it if if you if you hold your if you're holding your hand a little tighter your sound might be a little bit more tight and i i would listen back to myself to some videos and say i I'd like to hear that a little bit looser, you know, and, and so I, I started loosening my hand and now my hand is, a you know, I have my, uh, middle, middle to, to pinky, uh, fingers flowing pretty free. Um, I don't plant down or anything. I, I've never found that really worked for me, but but you know, I'm always always trying to find the next best thing, the newest, newest, greatest technique. You know, get rich quick kind of mandolin playing. <laughs> oh, that's excellent. What's your um? What's your uh, your live rig? You it looks like you plug in and then also have a mic uh, clipped on in some of the recent stuff I've seen. Yeah, I've been doing that for a little little while, a couple of years now. Um, I find the the di can be a, a little bright so rather than rolling rolling frequencies out of the di to to an extreme um you know rather than rolling those high ends down and you still want that stuff there but you you don't want to take away those frequencies you want to kind of add on top of them and stack you know other frequencies to make it a richer sound and i think that's what the microphone helps with um and right now i'm using a, a dpa microphone and the two signals are being blended um they get sent out to our front of house guy and he does some magic out there which i can't explain <laughs> and uh yeah let's see i've got a a grace audio Bix, B-I-X. Oh, yeah. B-I. Yep. Mm -hmm. I use that with a and k twin fusion pickup. They're stick-on pickups that go under the bridge. And somebody drilled a hole through where my end pin was. And now, you know, it's kind of like a what you do with a guitar. If, if you're trying to plug in a guitar, you just drill a hole quarter inch in the back end over there right right and I, i've got i've got a few pedals that i use and that's that's a, a tricky thing to figure out what works with a mandolin which i've found personally that delay and reverb and freeze generally those are safe ways to go um if if you start getting into the overdrive or you know, any kind of crunchy sound, it just doesn't, it doesn't quite sound right. 
with a mandolin yeah. to, to me. I agree. Uh, or at least I can't find a musical way to incorporate that sound without it getting lost with everything else going on. Because at the end of the day, we're, we're there to keep time and, and chop most of, most of the time. Um, so you can't really chop with, with, a, with an overdrive without it getting lost in the mix, you know, and then it's time for you to take your solo and you turn on an overdrive pedal and people are just like, Whoa, where did that come from? <laughs> oh my gosh. How long do you guys sound check for when you guys sound check? You guys got a lot. I mean, Billy's pedal board looks like a, a little spaceshipy. Uh, yeah, there's a lot going on it, on that thing. It is, it is. Uh, it's a, all of our rigs have gotten way more, way more complex and a lot less bluegrass over, over these past <laughs> few years. Um, but I, I'd say, I'd say around an hour. Oh, oh, that's not bad at all. Well, once everything gets set up, you know, we just, unless things are just not functioning right, we, uh, well, what we generally do is, um, I sound check first. I just go up there by myself. I test everything out and I, I play some, I, I play, a I play some leads. I play, I chop some, and then I sing a verse or two of something. And then the next person comes up and does the same thing. And so we do that individually. And then we come back up as a band and check everything together. And that's, that system's worked worked well for us i bet how do you how do you like the inners are you used to them i like them but they're they're really terrible for bluegrass really um just in the in the sense that with with real authentic bluegrass music which you know we all grew up on you are generally or a lot of times at least singing around one mic so you can push and pull off the other person and you can judge how hard or soft you need to sing. And you can't really do that with in-ears. You, you can't have, you can't have that mix. You can't, you know, if you play, if you're playing something, it's there, you can't step away from the mic. You're plugged in. Right. Right. So, it, you know, in, in, in a traditional setting, you're playing around the same volume and moving back and forward, you know, to kind of mix yourself in the, in the mic and you can kind of back yourself off. And when it's time to take a solo, you step up into the mic that the closest we have to that is a boost on your pedal. And, and, and we certainly make it work. But if you're trying to get a real authentic bluegrass sound, it is really tough to do that. Um, and, and you also feel a little disconnected from the audience when, when you have your ears plugged. We have, a, we have crowd mics off to the side, a couple SM81s that are pointed at the crowd so we can hear them. And we can turn up a little bit of that into our mix so we don't feel so isolated. Um, but at the end of the day, we, we can't, we can't play the kind of venues that we're playing right now without being plugged in. It's just not possible. No. And, and I mean, out front, it sounds like your guys, 
it sounds great. Like your front of house guy does a killer job, you know? Oh yeah. Uh, oh yeah. Just every, every time I see any video footage or watch a live stream, I mean, it, it, you guys, I mean, for, for, especially for the way you all play and plug into everything, it, it sounds still like a bluegrass band. You know what I mean? Like I under, it's, you know, it's not the same as, you know, a bunch of guys around mics and doing that, but it, it's, I mean, it's as close as you're going to get without miking everything completely separately and having nothing. It sounds great. Well, yeah, that's, that, that is, that is true. Um, uh, it's, it's, it's funny after, after, after the fact, whenever I go back and I listen to something or I see a video, it always sounds more balanced than it does in my ears, which is kind of a mind game in itself. <laughs> and I, and, and I know that it, it sounds good out front, but in my ear, I'm hearing more of myself in, in the mix than people are hearing out front proportionally because I, I need to be able to hear myself in order to, to, to gauge, to gauge what I'm doing. And, and I have my vocals louder than they are in the mix out front, you know, because most of the time I'm singing parts. Um, and, and that's the way it is with everybody. So if, if you personally make a mistake, it, it sounds it sounds really bad to you, but most of the time it doesn't sound that bad out front because things are mixed properly. And Andy does a great job. Andy Lytle, our sound guy, shout out to him. He does a fantastic job of making sure everything is balanced and sounds right. And uh, before we hired Andy. Um, Billy was saying, you know, we, we, we don't need to get a bluegrass sound guy. We don't want to get a bluegrass sound guy. We want to get somebody who's, who knows jam band music or somebody who knows, knows how to make a bluegrass band sound huge rather than how to properly mix a bluegrass band, which Andy has, has certainly learned how to do that. Um, but he didn't come from the bluegrass world. He came from, you know, he's a big fish fan. So that's, that's the world that, that he, he grew up in. So it's, it, you know, it's, it's a little bit more heavy on the bass than a traditional bluegrass band would be, but that's, that's really good for the sound that we're going for. A lot of times, we're playing long-winded jams, and you need to have that bass presence. You need to have the chop really present, and the guitar needs to be screaming. And that's the cool thing about you guys is, like you say, you got these like long-winded jams with giant bottom end. And what I think makes you guys so incredible and why I think you guys have just crossed over to all these different things is you guys can also step up to one microphone and just kill for 45 minutes if you had to. You know, you've got the best of it all in that band right now. Well, you know, it's to, to me, part of the, the recipe for Billy Strings these days is a lot of the, the people who come to a show who are strictly bluegrass fans, they are not there necessarily for the jams. And vice versa with the jam band crowds or the deadheads who come. 
but it's it's really it's really cool to be able to to play a you know a widespread panic song and it's and it's really rocking and everybody's dancing and then go straight into John Deere tractor Hey mama Here's a letter from you son Well I think my city days done And it ain't which most of the people who are traditionally a, a jam band fan they wouldn't necessarily turn on john deere tractor left to their own devices but once they see that okay these guys can can jam and they're choosing to do something that's you know you know that that is maybe they might think is more simple or you know more country or something that you know you might write it off a little easier when they when people see that you're making a concerted effort to juxtapose the two styles it 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 kind of uh it gives everybody a little something to hate you know <laughs> <laughs> exactly oh my god that's great man uh speaking of gear you got a new mandolin as well i do i do i'm i'm still playing my 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 first wineman, um, more than more than the the new wineman I had just just gotten. It's it's a fantastic mandolin, but there's no way you can recreate the hundreds of hours that I've played into that first instrument. Oh, absolutely. So I I did take it out. I I always take it out on on tours. I I have a backup and a and a primary mandolin that I, that I use, but it just, it, it doesn't sound as good yet. You know, it very well might. And, you know, that, that takes time, you know, it'll, it'll take another two or three years of playing incessantly on that instrument <laughs> right. to get to that point, which is kind of why if I'm shopping for, for a mandolin, most of the time, with the exception of these winemen guys, because they just build such great instruments. Um, I generally don't buy brand new mandolins. I like somebody to have done the work for me. Um, and, and they're generally cheaper, too. So I, I like for it to be played in, you know, a good 20 years or so. You know, if it's if it if it plays if it plays good after after 20 or 30 years and it still structurally looks good then i feel pretty confident about my purchase you never know with a new instrument if it's going to if the top's going to cave in or if you know something's going to start warping on you sure what's the uh, what are the differences between um the new one that you got and the one that you have now did you get like different woods or did you was it just something different you were looking for or um the only difference is the size of the F holes are a little smaller. 
Oh, no. Same kidding. wood. Cool. Same wood. Everything is, everything is the same on both of them. Um, the color is a little different. Um, it's a little, it's a little lighter on the new one. Um, the, my, my first one, the, the finish, it looks, I, I don't want to say, I don't want to say crude because that sounds like a, a negative adjective, but I actually like that. I like that quality of the Lloyd Lures. They, you can tell they were done by hand. You know, the, the sunburst looks, it doesn't look completely even. It looks a little bit more janky. And I, I like that it personally, um, you know, to me, the, the way a mandolin is supposed to look is how Lloyd Lure looks. And that's kind of what I, what I judge it off of. And, you know, sonically too, you know, that's, I generally go for the mandolins that have tone bars and as opposed to X bracing personally. I um I you were also just playing a lore recently though too I saw on your uh Instagram feed there. Yeah, you know, that's one of the great things about living here in Nashville is <laughs> is you can you can make friends with 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 some legendary guys and and go play their instruments you can't afford. <laughs> um, yeah, George uh George Gruen um has become a good good friend and and he's he's almost always got three or four lures on hand and, and he, and he brings them out and it's a, uh, you know, kind of show and tell, um, the, the very best kind of show and tell. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, but so, some of those, some of those lures right now are fairly moderately priced, you know, you know, people who know how expensive a Lloyd lure is, which I assume if you're listening to this podcast, <laughs> right. You're, <laughs> you're you're enough of a, a nerd to to know what a Lloyd Lore costs unless you're my um, wife and they only cost seven thousand dollars oh <laughs> just kidding well, that's great my wife my wife totally <laughs> knows how much they are <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah well i i i remember the days of of the two hundred and fifty thousand dollar Lloyd Lores um which there there's one there's one over at George's place which is which is listed for two hundred thousand, but that, that thing's not gonna sell anytime soon. Nobody's gonna pay that in this market. But he has some other ones that George George tells me, you know, you could get this one for eighty five. And when you when you put that in the grand scheme of things, that's a bargain. It it is a bargain. If you if you can swing it you'll be able to sell that thing for much more money in, in the future. But unfortunately, if, if I bought something like that, I think I would probably die before I sold it. So it's not really, an, it's not really an investment at that point. Right. <laughs> oh yeah. That's a, that is the best though is going and uh, just playing a bunch of different old mandolins, man, you know, Oh yeah, and they they all vary so much. Oh yeah, it's crazy. They, they none of them sound the same. You can pick, you, you can play ten different mandolins of, the, you know, the same kind of year anyway, in the same kind of build, and you can pick the differences out of them all. It's so wild. That's why it's always so weird when I see people 
you know, like, what should I buy? I'm like, I, you just, you really kind of have to go play a bunch of mandolins to figure out what you like, I think. Oh, yeah. Before you can even decide on a brand or something like that. If you're going to be, if you're picky, like if you have a sound in your head, you could go through a lot of mandolins before you find it, you know. Oh, yeah. It's it's weird. Uh, you know, I, I really lucked out with with the mandolin that I that I play the the Weinman that I found over at George Gruen's shop. I I needed a mandolin pretty fast, and and I found that thing on the wall. The second mandolin he had ever built, uh, Will and Wes Weinman. Um, I had never heard of the brand. I this they had just built this second mandolin and they took it to George to see what he thought about it. And he, and, and he liked it and he, and he, and he put it on consignment. And a couple of days later I come in there and I find it and, and very unlike me, I, I bought this mandolin from a unknown builder at the time, you know, and it's turned out to be a fantastic mandolin and it really, I played, I played those wars and I think my mandolin was I, the only one that I think beat my mandolin was the war that was $200,000. That's awesome, man. And I was kind of, I was kind of shopping for, for something else, you know, just, uh, you, you can't ever have too many. But, um, but I, I really lucked out with that, with that mandolin, um, you know, obviously a fraction of the price of, of a Lloyd lure, but the, the cool thing about this particular $200,000 Lloyd lure and probably part of the guy's reasoning into pricing it so high is it's from the same batch as Bill Monroe's. Oh, Wow. So it, it was from the, it was dated from the same day, whatever that was. I can't remember off the top of my head. I said something on Instagram and somebody corrected me. Somebody oh, yeah. who's, who's a, even, who's even nerdier than me. Yeah, on, the, on, it, on. actually it was, uh, it was Andrew Marlin and CJ Lewandowski. <laughs> I'm going through them back and forth about it. Yeah. I'm like there, those there two, those guys nerded and I'm a mandolin nerd. I have a podcast for obviously, but, um, I remember seeing that. I'm like, of course these two guys are going to know. Well, normally it's a double ply inlay on the headstock for them. I'm like, Oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah. I, I did. I didn't even, the fact that I didn't really understand what they're talking about. I was like, okay, I must be wrong. <laughs> all right um but but i did play a couple that day so I, I got my numbers switched up a little bit but you know lloyd lore i believe andrew or uh or cj might correct me on this but from what i understand they would they would be built in batches of you know four or five something like that so this this mandolin is it was finished probably on the same day as Bill Monroe's and it sounded fantastic. That's so cool, man. Go figure, go figure. <laughs> yeah. Right. Right. The magic man. Well, that's exciting, dude. I couldn't be happy for your happier for you for all the success you're having. And I mean, it couldn't happen to a nicer guy and a, and a better player. I'm so excited for you guys with this new album coming out and, 
and just seeing all the cool places you're playing, dude, it's, it's, it's amazing. And, and it's, uh, it's really, really cool to see. I mean, again, you come, you come from, um, the, the bluegrass background. It's, it's cool to see somebody playing a mandolin, playing to these size crowds and, and, you know, playing in a, in a great band that you are. It's, it's inspiring, buddy. Well, thank you so much. And, and thanks again for having me. I always love talking to you. Yeah, nerding here. out about nerding out about mandolins, and and I'm sure we can find some more stuff to talk about. Yeah, man. Oh, yeah. Have you had, have you had any good beers? I guess I should ask the uh, the the beer well, beer question. Have you had any good beers on in your travels? You know, I have been really liking the sour beers. Oh, no kidding! Cool. I, I love the sour beers. They they tasted like vinegar when I first tried them, but <laughs> I I found I found a few really good ones here in town there's a uh there's one brewery out of atlanta um trying to think it might be monday monday night brewing something like that but they have a beer called dr robot and it's a blackberry lemon sour oh wow and it and it's fantastic it's really good i found it on draft somewhere on one of the few places here in nashville where you can have a drink on the water oh cool Dr. Robot, I'm writing that down. Yeah, yeah, give it a try. For sure, man. Well, dude, hopefully we can meet up again in person uh, in the the future here again and and hang out and talk some mandolins again. Absolutely, yeah. I'll I'll definitely give you a shout if we're rolling through your area. Sweet, man. Well, dude, thank you so much. Well, always good talking to you. I hope to talk to you soon. All right. They don't get much nicer than Jared Walker, man. Thank you again to Jared for uh, doing the podcast. Thank you for listening. Let's get to the new single from Billy Strings that just came out yesterday. You can go to iTunes, by the way, and you can pre-reserve this album. And it's uh, a bunch of tunes for like $9.99. It's a great deal. And you can also reserve it on Spotify as well if you're just going to stream it. Uh, If that's the way you listen to your music, then go and do that too. Again, those things all add up for the artist as far as sales and different things like that. And they can see how the album's tracking. So go out there and reserve it either way. And uh, thanks for listening. Cheers, everybody. Here for 
past will ring a bell But I'm not looking back, I'm only moving forward If I knew then what I knew now I wouldn't be here anyhow And it's been clear But if I could find more that's worthy I surrender it all Not sure that I deserve I give it all to her.